My name's Kiara, and I am one of your campus leaders here, and we are starting a new series on believers. But before I tell you about that, I need to ask Jesus for help, because if he don't help me, I can't do this. Okay. Um, Jesus, help me. <laughs> I thank you, God, for how kind you are and um, for your heart towards your people. God, that's what we're asking for. We're asking for your heart, Lord. We don't want to know how to be like you because the Pharisees had all the rules, but they missed your heart, Lord. And so they missed a lot of people and they missed what you were doing. And ultimately, they missed you when you came and you were in their face. So, Lord, we don't want to just know what you're doing. We want to have your heart. Will you share it with us, Lord? Will you share it with these people, your sheep? Um, Beyond what I could ever say, God, I pray that you speak to them a message of hope and encouragement um, and peaceful water for their souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as I said, we are starting. Can y'all hear me if I don't use the mic? It's okay? Okay. So we are starting a series on unbelievers, and we felt like this was really timely as we multiply our heart for multiplication is not that you can have two locations to go to depending on where you wanted to drive, if you wanted to go up the hill or down. That wasn't our desire. Our desire was that our neighbors could find a home in the family of God. And that if we had something to give to help them get there, that we would give it. That's our heart for multiplication. But depending on how you grew up, if you grew up in a church, if you grew up in a church that was missional, or if you didn't, you may be super unfamiliar with how to do that. How do I connect to people in my community that don't know Jesus? How do I share them? Do I just run down the street and be like, do you know Jesus? Meet him! You could do that, but that might be creepy. So I don't know if that's the best way, you know, but you let the Lord use you. Um, but rather than just leave you out there and say go, uh, we decided why don't we share what we have and what we've received. And so I'm hoping... Um, that as this series is preached and you get some practical training, I hope people share their stories of how they've seen, like Steve did today, how they've seen unbelievers come to Christ, how they've seen people miraculously healed, how they've seen people transformed by his love, and how um, they've never been the same since in the same way that you've never been the same. So I pray that this is not just a how-to, um, but it's a heart transplant for you as we go through this. All right. So um, this series is based on um, the Gospel Tab's value of unbelievers, and all of our values are located on the website. So if you ever wonder, what do we believe? You can go read the website, and you will know. Perfect. So this is how the value goes. Um, It says, God's posture towards our unbelieving neighbors is love and compassion. Every person has participated in rebellion against God. Me first. Our spiritual enemy has inflicted spiritual blindness on us all. His love goes first in seeking us and drawing us back to himself. Jesus' death on the cross atoned for our sin so we could be restored to friendship with God. Jesus' priority was seeking the lost, so ours is as well. Okay, that's it. We go back. So you see how these have these cute little numbers to help you understand what's going on here. That's the first one. If you wonder how the series is organized, it's organized by these numbers. So we, uh, today's the first one, so we're doing number one. Next week, 
is gonna be number two. See, you guys can do math, it's great. God's posture towards our unbelieving neighbors is love and compassion. That's what I'm gonna be talking about today. Um, and it's coming from Luke 19, 1 through 10. So it goes like this. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Nope, this is not the beginning. <coughs> Go to the next slide. Oh, okay. I see what happened. Just keep going. Go to the next slide. I think I put a slide in the middle of two other slides. So let's just pretend like I didn't do that. Jesus entered Jericho. Oh, this is the beginning. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Or Zacchaeus? How do you say that? Zacchaeus? Okay, I'm from the south. So we live. I had a friend who lived on the street. He worked at Foot Locker, and his name was Zacchaeus. Yeah, so. Uh, but I don't think this is the same friend, because I don't think they have Foot Locker. So. Y'all say Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus? Okay, great. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the, to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Can you go back to the last slide that was in the middle of the other slide? Jesus, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's where it went. Okay. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Amen, right? So this is kind of a familiar scripture. And it's kind of interesting that the Bible puts in here that there is this guy. He's a wealthy tax collector and a short and he climbed a tree. And then Jesus saw him and had him over for dinner. It's an interesting story, and it's one that we know, but as I was reading this, I felt like there were all kind of things that the Lord was showing me um, and confirming, and so I just want to share those with you. Can you go to the first slide? My chart. I made a chart for y'all so you can see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep clicking. Click all the way through it. See, it was supposed to be all Um, last Sunday, this was crazy. Last Sunday, I gave this word spontaneously on Easter Sunday about us shouting and it being similar to what happened at the walls of Jericho. Mm. So then, uh, I started boxing. Um, I'm not very good at it yet, but I really enjoy it. And so I was boxing and I was talking to one of my friends and they were saying that in their Bible study, or one of their staff meetings or something like that, Somebody was just filled with the spirit and they jumped up and they said, Lord, 
I hear you. I think we're supposed to walk around this building seven times because you're doing something like Jericho. I gave that word on Sunday. You hear the story about this on Tuesday. And so they walked around um, the building six times, and then they said um, on Sunday, that will be the seventh time. We'll come back, and we'll walk the seventh time. Well, that Sunday would have been Easter Sunday. And so rather than walking around again, we just all as a church shouted to the Lord with this word, and they just started crying. They were like, oh, my God, Lord, you were actually speaking to me. So then um, the night before I went to boxing and heard the story, I felt like the Lord was saying, pay attention to Jericho. And so I started paying attention to it. Then I heard the story. So I clearly feel like God is saying something about Jericho. I don't know what the fullness of that word is. Um, I don't know if the Lord is giving territory. I don't know. But there's something prophetic happening about Jericho. I just want to share that with you. Now, let me tell you about the significance of Jericho in this story, not in Beaver County, but in Israel. Jericho is um, revered as one of the oldest cities in history, like one of the oldest established cities. Um, not a little village or a town, but like an established city. And it was significant for people because it was sunny and warm and palm trees were everywhere in Jericho. And they said that this is a place where kings would build their winter homes because it was warm. And so immediately I started thinking, sunny, warm, palm trees, people go there to get away. I was like, oh, this is Florida. Jericho is Florida. That's where I would go to get away and to live my life. And it's so funny, um, while I was sitting here, I was looking at it on the map, and it's actually straight across from Florida. Like if you were to go across the water, it is like straight across, but don't think you're going to Florida and not be but nevertheless, it has that kind of feeling, like this getaway, come to somewhere warm, sunny, luxurious place. It was a center for like cultural exchange. Wealthy people were here. So it's a, it's a moving city. It's a lot going on here. People feel luxurious here. And in the same way that kings go here to get away, beggars also come to this place. Poor people, people, homeless people come to this place because they're hoping that the wealthy will give them what they have. When I thought about that part, I thought about Robinson, how Robinson is probably the place that has the most shops in our area, and it's also the place that has the most visible homeless people on that street when you drive them down and they're standing there. And that's that interchange because there are people here with money, so they're hoping that they would receive from the generosity of those people. The same, same, same yesterday, today, tomorrow, it's the same here. People are coming to Jericho to get away, to feel luxury, and the beggars are coming here to try to change their lives. So Jericho is a city of people who have some kind of need and are hoping they can find it here in this city. Either they have some kind of need for rest because whatever they have going on um, requires that and they've come here to get away. Either they've come to Jericho because they don't have anything and they're hoping to build a better life for themselves. Or the people are trying to climb the social ladder in Jericho. You hear in the scripture there were people standing around Jesus and mumbling and complaining. There's a tax collectors in the city. So this is a place where people come and hope that they receive whatever need they have met. Does that make sense? So I consider this a place where you need to be seen. Where you hope that whatever you're looking for is found here. All right, the second person in this story is he was a tax collector, but not only a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector, which means of all the people that were out there stealing and swindling, he was the chief of stealers and swindlers. I mean, he's probably the most skillful of the swindlers and stealers. Um, and he was also Jewish. 
the Jewish people, thank you, because I will trip at some point. The Jewish people hated him. They felt like he was such a traitor because you are a Jewish man and you're stealing from us. We all are all in this city trying to get ahead the same way you are. You are one of us, but you're taking from us. You tax us, and chief tax collectors tax more than regular tax collectors. That's why you're the chief. You get to make more money. You get to pretend like you were one of these kings in this area, that you built your winter home here. So it's, there, there's this thing around the case that he is despised, he's not valued, and he's, I, and I, the people grumble and complain about him, and I don't feel like a whole mob of people is probably completely wrong. Like, I don't, maybe one person will lie or two people, but you get a whole mob saying, no, he a liar. <laughs> he probably a liar. He, he probably did something to deserve his name. You're not crazy. He did, he was a sinner. He was not the best person. We, and he was short. That's not a, a bad characteristic. <laughs> but the Bible just put it in there. So I'm just going to throw it in there. The Bible is really real about body descriptions. I don't know why it's like that. It said that um, Saul was head and shoulders over other people. And that's why the people, part of the reason why the people picked him to be the king. Because he stood so tall in stature and he was so favored. So I would assume if Saul was loved because he was head and shoulders above, then Zacchaeus would be the opposite because he head and shoulders below. And that's that. That's not his fault. He didn't about that. But that's, you know, the lot that he received. Um, so that's the kids. What we know, we don't know a lot about him, except for the things that I've said. Um, but the thing that we know is some part of him was searching for something coming here. Because he didn't have to be concerned about what Jesus was doing. My phone? Oh, no, I need my Bible. He didn't have to um, be concerned about what Jesus was doing. He's making money. He has all the stuff that he needs. Like, what does he need from Jesus? You've received, you are a wealthy, prosperous man in this country. You have a secure job. You have safety with the Roman government. Jews did not have that. But because you're a tax collector, there's some kind of bargain relationship that you have with the Roman. What more do you need? You live in Florida. <laughs> and yet, this short man was seeking for something. <laughs> and so he climbs this tree to see what Jesus is doing. And he's standing up there. I just imagine this little short man in the tree. He's standing up there watching to see what Jesus is doing, right? So he's seeking for something in a place where everybody is seeking for something. And he's standing there, hoping that something changes in his life. There's a restlessness. That's the only reason that you climb a tree in front of all these other people as a grown man. How many grown men you see climbing trees? None. There's the only reason you do that. You're seeking something, and there's a longing that cannot be satisfied here on the ground. I have to seek higher. I have to. That, oh, that's a word, right? Okay. what he was doing, because he's the third character in the story, and he was the most significant character. All right, in chapter 18, which is the chapter before this, let me preface this before I explain, um, Joel's like, now, Kiara, you know the Bible doesn't happen in the same exact way that the chapters go. Like, he wasn't walking through his life, like, okay, now I'm in chapter 17, and now I'm moving into chapter 18. Like, that's not how it works. If you listen to Mark's gospel, you might think that it works like that, but it doesn't. And so, it doesn't, doesn't mean that these events happen exactly right before like he told this parable and then he walked here. But whoever curated the Bible felt like these concepts 
flowed right next to each other. And some of them were him right before this moment. So know that in studying your Bible. All right, chapter 18, Jesus is making a point to acknowledge almost every type of disenfranchised person possible. He starts the um, chapter by talking about this widow who needed justice and kept knocking on the door of this unjust guy. And then the guy gives her justice. Widows, they're the first group of, um, of, um, what is it, of disenfranchised people. These are people often forgotten and left out in society. So, widows. Tax collectors, we already talked about they lying, cheating, and swinging themselves, right? We already said that about tax collectors. But there is a story about this tax collector who goes to the synagogue at the same time as this righteous man. And the righteous man is like, oh, Lord, I know that you've heard my prayer. I'm so thankful that I'm not like him. I'm not dirty and low down like him. Lord, I am so holy and wonderful. And the tax collector, I imagine him on his knees and it's just like, Lord, I know I don't deserve this. I know I don't deserve to be in this room right now, God. But if you'll meet me, I will be thankful. And the Lord says his, his offering, the tax collector's offering is the one that was received. Not the righteous man. The righteous man. It's this man, because that ain't righteousness. That's filthy rags. This person, this person is who offering is, is received this moment. He's a tax collector. He's not worthy. He's a thief. The Bible says don't steal. You out here sinning. But you are the one who the Lord has um, seen in this moment. And the children. There was a moment when the children were coming to the Lord, and the people were like, no, 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 don't let the kids come. And Jesus was like, oh, no, let the kids come to me. As, as a matter of fact, theirs is the key. Them. Yes. So John Burroughs, so sure, the one he just gave about the children, it's the same thing. Theirs is the kingdom. And then, so he's telling all these parables and stories. And then he gets to this point where he's walking towards Jericho. He hasn't made it to Jericho yet, but he's walking towards Jericho. And he encounters a blind beggar. And this blind beggar was standing outside Jericho. Why? Because this is where you go to receive whatever you need. So he's standing outside of Jericho, and people told him, don't, don't bother Jesus. What do you have to say to him? You blind? You don't have anything? Let this man of stature walk by. Don't, don't stay in our city by calling out to him. And the blind man was like, no, not me. Jesus, Jesus, don't pass me by. Don't walk past me and not see me. He cries out, and I know it made the people uncomfortable. It would have made me uncomfortable. You ever, and this is bad, but you, have you ever driven by a homeless person on the side of the road and you not know what to do and you look away? Yeah. This is the thing that people do because it's so hard to look at. It's uncomfortable. And this man was like, I don't care. I don't care about any of those barriers. I'm going to call out to you. You know what Jesus does? He heals this man on the spot. He recovers this man's sight. And instead, the man went and rejoicing and, and, and following God and praising the Lord. That's what happened to this man, right? So this is not even the chapter we're talking about. This is chapter 18. This is on the way to Jericho. Jesus is setting up this, um, this idea, this concept that I am, I am concerned about those that nobody else is concerned about. Let me give you all the examples of the world, in the world of people who I'm concerned about that nobody else is concerned about. So then it says um, that Jesus was traveling to Jericho, and I want to highlight something in the passage. It's the first verse, I didn't put this up there, but it's the first verse of the passage. It's, it's Luke 19 and 1. 
Zacchaeus. Mm-hmm. Zacchaeus. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Not the guy I feel like this guy. This is the spot that he was cut. The point was Zacchaeus. It wasn't anybody else. And it wasn't passing through. He came to this spot for this reason. This is another scripture that I said for this reason that I this is the reason that I came. Oh, Jesus in the garden. He's like, Lord, take this cup from me. Um, he says, nevertheless, this is the reason that I came. Here's the case. Zacchaeus. This guy, our only team, is the reason that he came to this spot. And so if you go back to my chart where I drew all the things and we decided to do perfect things. Jesus in this story is the seer. You got people who in a city, they all need to be seen. They're seeing something. You have Zacchaeus, who is the main seeker in this story, but Jesus is the one who's seeing. He is the one who is meeting every sought need for these people. And this is so. This was so valuable to me as I studied it, because, like I said earlier, everything that they were saying about Zacchaeus was true. Why would you go to the house of a sinner? Why would you go to the house of a liar? And it was true. It, it was completely true. And Jesus knew that. It doesn't say in the story that his disciples were walking by and just like, who was that up there in the tree? And they were like, oh, it's Zacchaeus. He knew him by name. Before anybody else in this story mentioned this man's name, he came to the spot where he was seeking this man and called him out of the tree by name. Come down, I need to eat in your house immediately. But he, Zacchaeus is who the people say he is. So why is he seeking them? Why are you seeking him, Lord? And that's the people's question. And it's a valuable question. Why are you seeking this man who is traitorous? Why aren't you seeking someone who is more valuable? But this is the beauty of what God is saying. The last um, verse in this whole thing explains, if you can get to this verse 10, Only 
after and to be saved. It's that you be lost. There are no other, there are no other things. There, you don't have to, there was no righteousness. You were a liar. You were a sinner. The only thing I came for those who are lost. Is he lost? I came for him. The beggar, was he lost? Did he have he couldn't even see? You get lost a lot, brother. <laughs> I came for him. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Oh my goodness. That's hilarious, Lord. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm just gonna move on from that. That's so funny. But that's the, that's the beauty of this. And I was, I was thinking, like, why would people mutter and complain about this? And I think them missing that Jesus came for Zacchaeus is, 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 is a problem because they also missed it for themselves. They, I bet you they felt like they needed to be this righteous man in order for Jesus to see them. So that's why you complain about somebody else being seen because you want to be seen. They're all in the city of people who need something. Everybody in this crowd needs something. So why do you pick him? But if they didn't miss it, if they recognized that Zacchaeus' only qualification was that he be lost, then they would have cried out in the streets, Jesus, don't pass me by. Can I come to Zacchaeus' house? Do you have room at your table for me? Because I've got to be there. You would have cried out from the depth of your soul, and you would have met the criteria, and you would have been fine. That was it. That was all it was. It's only that you be lost. If the people could have got it, they would have received. And that's what it says, too. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. This was so beautiful. Um, one, he, he met the condition. Jesus invited him to come to the table. Then after that, this is so special. Jesus didn't even require him to repent before he came to eat with him. He invited him to be with him first. Um, you said the scripture, I think you said the scripture earlier, um, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens, I'll, opens the door, I'll come in, and I'll sup with him and him with me. So first, Jesus gives the invitation for the keys to come down and eat with him, right? He is seen, he is chosen in this moment by Jesus. And what happens after he goes by before this? As she gets there, I'm going to tell you what it says. Keep going. It's the one in the verse. Right here. Zacchaeus cried out, look, Lord, here and now. I don't know what I was doing before this, but here and now. I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay that four times this amount. Do you know what this is? This is repentance. Because repentance is not saying, I'm so sorry, God, my bad, I didn't mean to do that. Repentance is turning from wickedness to the Father. So Jesus' invitation prompted this man to repentance. It was not the other way around. It was not like, repent, and then I'll come in. It was like, I invited you to come and be with me, and it led this man to genuine repentance. So much so that he was like, I've been a thief, I know it, but I give it back to you. If I stole anything from you, I give it back to you. And then the Lord says to this man today, salvation has come to his life. He led, he led him to salvation by inviting him to come and be loved by Jesus. What kind of method is this? He just did it. Just then. And not only did Jesus restore Zacchaeus to, um, to salvation, to the Father, but then it also says this man too 
is the son of Abraham. He was a Jewish man. He had been outcasted by the Jews. But in this moment, when he says, this, he too is the son of Abraham, he's like, oh, no, no. He's in the family now. This is your brother now. You don't get to say he's not one of us. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He restored him in this moment to the father and to the family. Just that quick. And not by pointing out his sin. Not, not to say that's not a thing that we do, because thank God for correction. If you don't get corrected, the Lord doesn't love you. But he does love you, so he will correct you. So the Bible says, I don't want that to be too harsh. All right, but I'm just saying, we bless the Lord for correction, but it was the invitation to come and be with me that led him to repentance and led him to receive salvation. So this is, this is Zacchaeus' story, but this was suck if it was only just Zacchaeus' story because he's dead and we are sitting in chairs and not trees. So this is valuable because this is our story. It's the same. That's the gospel. That this thing that he did for Zacchaeus, he did for us. The only requirement for us is that we be lost. And if we be lost, we cry to the Lord, Lord, come. And he comes. That. That's the simple part of it. That's what that's what's so valuable in this. As I was thinking about um, preaching this passage and working through it and asking the Lord what to say, um, I was reminded of what it felt like for me to be seen by Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. For the moment when he noticed me, and he said, you are valuable to me. He actually said, you are mine. That's what the scripture says. I am yours and you are mine. Amen. And I was thinking about that. I remember when I was in college, uh, I went to church all through like elementary school, middle school, high school. But then I got to college and I was like, maybe not. I don't know. You know, so I started off like, yes, Jesus, I'm for you. And then somebody was like, you want to go to the club? And I was like, I'm that Jesus. And I went to all these different places and made all kinds of you know, stupid decisions. And I remember uh, earlier on when I first got to college, my freshman year, maybe the second month there, they had like this worship gathering. And I went one night and I worshiped the Lord. Um, and then I didn't go back after that. I just stopped going to church and started pursuing my own life. But there was a girl at that worship event who saw me. And she felt like the Lord impressed on her heart to begin to pray for me. And so she just began to pray for me. I didn't even know her. She just started praying for me. Three years later, I joined the church of the worship team, of the worship night. And the Lord started healing me of all these wounds and untangling me from everything that I got tangled in myself because the criteria is to be lost, not to be holy. So he untangled me. And she came to me later on. She was like, I've been praying for you to encounter the Lord for the last three years. I said, are you serious? And she was like, yeah. They asked like, you know what you think. The Lord was like, pray for her. So I've just been praying for you. And when I saw you come to this space, I was like, oh, you answered prayer, God. Wow. I just started crying. She, to this day, she is one of the dearest people in my life. She was in my wedding. There are some people who call me asking for anything, and I would do it. She is one of them. Wow. Because, of, because of that. But I was not seeking to be found. I was seeking to be wild. I was seeking to be blown. I was not trying to be found. <laughs> I pray, I was praying for you. Her pursuit was valuable, but it was the Lord who impressed on her heart to pray for me. It was his pursuit of me, and I remember that moment when I was not praying for me. 
She was praying for me because he was praying for me. Amen. Because he was seeking after me. And that's, that's the gospel that you remember. You remember what it was like to not be seeking the Lord. And to when your pursuit met his pursuit. When you are living in Jericho and Jesus coming to Jericho and those things converge. You remember what that is. And as we remember that feeling, we take on the heart of God. We take on his heart of compassion. We transfer from the grumbling, complaining who's like, well, she's not worth saving anyway, lying and sinning. He's not worth saving anyway, lying and sinning. We transfer from that place to the place of God. If you hadn't found me, I would have nothing. Find them the way that you found me. So before we talk about, um, oh, you can go to like the last few slides. I've like already preached through them, but we can go to the last few. Before we talk about, just keep going, always saying, before we talk about how do you reach the lost, how do you be friends to the lost, that's good. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, we start by taking on the heart of God for these people. Because somebody took on the heart of God for them. And if, if you don't know, because people are praying for you that you don't know. If you don't know if people are praying for you, I guarantee you somebody has prayed for you. Mm. Hands down. But if, if you don't know, the Father has been praying for you. The Word says that he sits at the right hand yeah. of the Father making intercession for you. So he, he's been praying for you. So before you, you come and you say, you need to give your life to Jesus from this righteous place, you take on his heart of compassion that says, actually, this person. Is the, is the sole reason that I came. This person, they're the spot. They're the reason that I came to this spot. Mm -hmm. You take on his heart that the family yeah. is not complete if this person isn't in it. Yeah. And that's where we start from. You can play if you want. I don't know how to. Um, and that's it. That, that's the point of this, that Jesus' heart um, is compassion. For our neighbors, because his heart was compassion that we did not deserve, but he gave to us. So I had some cute alliteration type things. Jesus was seeking the kids, he saw the kids, he loves the kids. What's the next one? Jesus saw you, Jesus saw you, Jesus loves you. Amen. And then the last one, Jesus is seeking the lost, he sees the lost, and he loves the lost. Amen. Okay, that's it.